Famed American advertising theorist Scott Galloway said of commission-free stock trading app Robinhood, quote, Our young people are addicted to screens, and online trading platforms may be the next menace preying on them. Those are harsh words. There's been a lot of chatter recently about the practices of apps that democratize investing, like Robinhood. Of course, most of the recent criticisms come as a result of their response to the GameStop short squeeze that dominated news headlines in late January. This was even the primary focus of the U.S. congressional hearing of their CEO. But meanwhile, Scott Galloway's argument hasn't been discussed as in-depth. Robinhood gives you a free stock upon signing up. It sends your phone push notifications to ensure that your attention is constantly on investing through the app. Is this ethical? Should we shield impressionable early 20-somethings from advertisements aimed at getting them excited about the stock market? The FTC steps in for tobacco ads that uh, could be perceived as enticing youth. Should the same be done for investing apps? Or are the practices of Robinhood no more harmful to society, quote-unquote, than McDonald's, say, targeting a popular Gen Z influencer to further their appeal amongst teens? To discuss this more in depth, I'm so excited to have back on Caroline Gigerick. Caroline has had a long career in brand marketing, which is quite evident when you hear her thoughtful perspective on this matter. We discuss the ethics of gamified investing, as well as the brand strategy of Robinhood. Enjoy. I'm so happy to have with us again, Caroline Gigerick, uh, to talk all things Robin Hood, democratization of investing, who is the real customer when it comes to some social media apps, uh, and I guess any other topic that we may lead into with this conversation. But Caroline, thank you so much for coming back. Oh, I'm excited to be back. Um, we we got to just jump into, uh, I think we, we decided we were going to do another one of these based around Robin Hood. And I know it's a topic that you've been so excited about and interested about, not just, hey, this is Robin Hood, it's all about democratization of investing, but you know, that concept with everything GameStop related has really been coming to a head. So uh, I guess as you've been watching and witnessing and commenting on the frenzy, what has been your uh, overarching analysis? Well, I, I mean, I think my first point of interest is around this idea of Robin Hood as a brand because what they want consumers to think is that it is a technology that is, as you said, democratized. I don't even know if I can say this right. Um, it took allowing me like 12 tries. Yeah, I don't know that I can even <laughs> say that word right, but 
you know, giving more people access to the art of investing with zero fees, fractional shares, um, and the big nugget, of course, of investing in cryptocurrency now that one Elon Musk is on board. Um, and I think that's very enticing, clearly. Um, you know, going back to 2008, 2009, there has been some animosity towards Wall Street built over years and even prior to that. And so it was interesting to see a brand come out strong with this idea of being for the people. Um, but of course, when you get, get into the GameStop situation, where you have uh, an app limiting either the buying and in some, some circumstances, the selling of a stock, well, then that perceived value diminishes in like a nanosecond, right? So it's interesting to see who they are and how that they've reacted to this crisis and what it says about them as a brand. I find that really interesting. Um, and we can get into that a, a little bit more maybe. Uh, but the other thing that I think is really interesting to me is this idea of during COVID, we've got all these people at home, some with additional time on their hands. It has been interesting to see this cohort develop that is absolutely powerful in ways that Wall Street, institutional investors, CNBC didn't see coming. And, you know, the conflict that almost develops as the rest of us watch this in real time take place, it's absolutely a form of entertainment. I, I did some digging just to even look into what were the ratings of CNBC the week that this was all coming to a head, because I, I have to imagine that CNBC has never seen better ratings in its life. And then you've got all these people re-watching The Big Short, for example, uh, which unfortunately wasn't on any subscription video on demand platforms at the time. So I, I think that that is fascinating as a movement because Robin Hood aside, you've got all these people out here who, if they truly can learn the craft of investing can better themselves and things of like, you know, how to shift wealth in the, in the United States. I, I mean, I'm going off on so many tangents here, but you could really see through this COVID pandemic that there has been an absolute um, separation of the haves from the have nots. And so investing as a tool when operated from a point of education and knowledge can be a tool used to really change the wealth structure in the United States. I've seen clubhouses on, you know, really targeting um, people of color for this exact type of subject and how refreshing that is. Um, sorry, I circumvented a lot of topics. No, there. this is this is great. <laughs> um, I asked for the overarching analysis. I mean, this is uh, awesome. And you know, I think to those first two points that you were bringing up there about um, what's so interesting is how they've been branding themselves, but also um, to everything else you were just saying, you know, it's people at home, often unemployed, that felt the courage and decided to really, you know, uh, I guess, find the gumption within themselves to 
find a way to uproot this system and disrupt things in a way that, you know, clearly disrupted a lot. It was, it was very unprecedented. Um, and I, what I wonder as well, because I'm very curious about your thoughts on the branding, I would read it as maybe that branding was part of the reason that people were so galvanized to uproot this, where, you know, with Robin Hood, it's all about, oh, Robin Hood, think about, you know, what that name even means and what it's supposed to evoke. Hey, we're here for the people. Um, I'm trying to find, I think I have one code. Oh yeah, financial power into the hands of everybody. Um, and maybe it goes to right now, consumers really are looking for authenticity and they're more skeptical than ever. And they read something like that and then they see some of the subsequent actions and it does get them up in arms. So how do you think uh, the branding, say, of Robin Hood did sort of uh, uh, set them up for this situation? Well, I mean, I think when you say that you're out there for the common man and then you slap that common man or woman across the face 10 times, um, that's a clear conflict in your brand identity. Um, so I think when you come out with a brand that's aligned with social purpose, the authenticity piece becomes even more important. And if you cannot handle the ramifications of what that authenticity requires, because in this case, right, when um, Robin Hood disallowed um, the buying of GameStop on January 28th, that was, you know, by many people's accounts, more of them needing to cover this very sizable margin that they were told that they had to cover versus them making some decision overnight that we're just going to we're just going to slap all of our audience members across the face. It was, you know, more about being a startup unprepared for the ramifications of being in fintech and less about the brand's supposed identity changing. But that's exactly the problem. And that's what, you know, critics would dig into. I do want to say one thing, though, because... I thought about this a lot. Uh, you know, so many critics will chastise, and critics that I respect very much, actually, will chastise Robin Hood for the gamification inherent in the app. And I think that's troubling because any other company utilizing those types of techniques, we would exalt and say, look at how creative they're being with engaging their users, as we would say, and marketing speak, right? We would be um, praising those people for job well done, utilizing gamification for retention and engagement. But over here with Robinhood, some people criticize it and are appalled that they're giving away a free stock for sign up or um, if I shared it with you, free stock, you know, I don't think that any of those techniques are out of line. I think the fact that they weren't prepared for this user behavior 
on their app and needed to shut down trades is an absolute issue. But gamification is not what I criticize them for. That's really interesting. So uh, I want to get the the devil's advocate argument out there and get your response mm -hmm. there. I, I think what people would say would go, well, that's true. Facebook is going to do that. Instagram is going to do that. I mean, and even uh, some uh, companies or services that, you know, there is a subscription fee attached. You are paying money and it's somewhat minorly gamified. But with stocks, it, it could almost be seen as uh, a new lotto app, maybe. That is, oh, uh, send a referral and then you're really gambling with your money that can have serious ramifications. So um, not saying that that's my perspective, but that, of course, would be the devil's advocate, CNBC, uh, maybe. Actually, not CNBC, but some subversive tech figure would probably say that. So how, how would you respond to that criticism? Yeah, well, let's bring up some examples of you started with some, but Reddit is a good yeah. example. You know, they're out there awarding users either up, down, um, with content that's valuable. And that's why Reddit is seen as one of the most authentic social media platforms. Take the Apple Watch. Apple Watch is out there like, come on, you just have a little ways to go before you can hit your goals. But who does that benefit? Ultimately, it benefits Apple. It's not like Apple's like, no, really, I really have your best interest <laughs> at heart. I really want you to be in the best shape of your life post-COVID. Like, <laughs> those, those decisions are all motivated around the business wanting to make money. In Reddit's example, they want to command a significant part of the attention economy, and that's true for most social media sites who have that kind of behavior inherent. But what makes that behavior different than Robinhood on its face, right? It, it, from the argument that you gave, it's the fact that people could lose money. That's absolutely true. But then someone else could say, well, then they shouldn't be trading in the first place. I heard arguments that I thought were really interesting. And um, one of them was that the, the best way for someone to learn the risks inherent with trading are to lose money. It's like that idea that we just spoke about prior to starting the podcast of like, there needs to be rules and there needs to be risks associated with breaking those rules. And I think that's absolutely true because the minute you lose money, you're going to be much more careful and educated in your next decision. Because the reality is it's not just the, you know, your neighbor or the retail investor down the block that lose money. Um, institutional investors lose a whole lot of money often, just like those short sellers did and they they learned some lessons so i don't know i just i understand the arguments about protecting people but at the end of the day when does it become too much when should it be be about the individual taking responsibility for their own actions you know because basically what we're talking about is they're being encouraged to gamble is the biggest argument I've heard. And McDonald's is encouraging people to 
eat a Big Mac. So are they responsible? I mean, that is an argument that we've had in this country. Are they responsible for Americans and an obesity problem? This is a very similar analogy. Yeah. Right? And, and you know, I think what's so interesting about that, because you, you are getting me to think about this in a way I wasn't previously. Um, for example, there is a, a fellow named Scott Galloway, who I, uh, am, am, I love very much. And I know that has been his criticism against Robin Hood, say, is against that gamification. Um, but I guess even to what you're saying, it's funny because I'm thinking of all the criticism levied against, say, Facebook when they go, look at what you've done to terror uh, uh, the, the fabric of our society. Things you can make arguments for there isn't the connection of, oh, when Facebook is incentivizing people to become a user of their platform, they are in turn causing all of this harm in society. People are not making that criticism, but maybe it's it's to kind of what you're saying, and I want your thoughts on this. It's just with Robinhood, it's just so much more transparent. It's what happens here is I, you know, it's money. I It's a transaction of money. I am trading stocks. Uh, whereas in something with, with Facebook, say, the ramifications, say, of being a part of the platform that often get brought up in uh, in news, you know, that is not as direct. It's maybe a few steps down the line before the consequences actually materialize. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very accurate representation. And let me just add that I love myself some Prof G. It pains me <laughs> to go against one of his arguments, but it is something I think of often when I hear him talk about this is, is that a fair argument to be had? And yes, the results of Robin Hood are more immediate. And the biggest one obviously was the young man who thought he owed um, hundreds of thousands of dollars and that was an error. And he was so upset about it that he committed suicide. That is an absolutely grave consequence of technology that is misfiring and they have a responsibility, right? Um, but at the same time, to look at the overarching um, gamification of uh, Robin Hood and not think about some personal responsibility, I think is an error that's almost patronizing in a way right like these investors are so young and stupid that they don't know what they're doing well that's i mean anyone who actually went on to reddit and wall street bets found true complexity in the nature of some of these investors some were absolute novices getting into the bandwagon of the fury of you know against the um upper class elites some of them were very savvy investors who were very knowledgeable of the space and absolutely what they were doing. So, you know, like all things, there's not a, a, a black and white, there's a whole bunch of gray. And the reality with the Facebook, just to go back to it, is, you know, too much of anything can lead to very grave consequences. And social media is no different, but they get to go above the line and make it appear invisible because to your point any grave consequence would be very far down the line not immediate and 
Facebook or Twitter or whoever could disassociate by saying, well, that wasn't me. <laughs> you know, that wasn't me. That was something else going on in that user's life, but not me. Whereas Robinhood can't do that. Yeah, because ultimately what they're doing, I guess, gamifying is unfairly being lumped in uh, saying, hey, gamifying is something very nefarious. But we would never say branding and advertising is something nefarious. It's like, no, there is an incentive here. There is, they want to get new people as a part of their platform, as a part of their service, as a part of their subscription, whatever it may be. And in order to do that, you need to find clever ways and incentives to get people to be a part of the platform. And, you know, I guess this brings us right back into the branding part of it, where we're talking about the branding of Robinhood and say, even with them, it is a financial power into the hands of everybody. That is their, uh, their little log line. But, um, you know, now maybe it is coming to a head. You see this with Apple and Facebook and there being a conversation of who really is the customer. And obviously there's so long, there's been criticism say against Facebook about, oh, the data, what they do with the data. But do you think this event, everything we saw with Robinhood, is now making it so much more known to the public that the customer is not the user? I mean, it depends, right? Because in an ad-supported economy, that's true. Um, but I also think, I mean, I think it's, it's complicated and I'm trying to wrap my head around an answer for you. <laughs> because, you know, if we were talking about Netflix, for instance, we are, we are assigning cohorts to all of that data. If we are even with like, we're being lumped into overall cohorts, less of like individual customers. Is that your point or have I missed it completely? Totally, no, and I, I think that's a really important element of it. But also, say with uh, Robinhood, their customers are ultimately gonna be the hedge funds that they share the transaction data with. And these hedge funds can look at that data and make really smart strategic moves. Um, that is who they're really serving. And oh, they're I getting see. the data from uh, the Robinhood users. And it is that kind of idea of what is free whether it's Facebook, whether it's Instagram, whether it's TikTok, there is a consequence. Um, and I wonder if this whole Robinhood event is making people a little bit more aware or just maybe more weary about what is the consequence to having something that is quote unquote free. I see. I didn't understand your question earlier. Um, I think it's making people like you and I more aware, but I wouldn't say that that's true for your mainstream user. I mean, the reaction to Robin Hood making these decisions are class action lawsuits. So it, it, th there's no understanding of what I, I, the user am getting for these, um, free trades, these fractional shares, options trading. I don't see anyone saying, well, you know, that's what we get with Robin Hood because we get these incentives. I, moreover, see the the absolute animosity towards them for not proving out what they thought they were being sold. Um, it would be 
I would say in certain instances, like social media films, obviously like The Social Dilemma and others have brought this to light more. But I still think that the enticing features of using them sort of overshadows those things. And I see it all the time because Robin Hood, for example, as much animosity that is out there, if you look at the increased, um, I wouldn't say subscription usage of the app, well, who's actually winning and losing? I don't even know anymore. Yeah, I found one metric. Uh, I wrote this down. It was Robinhood was reportedly downloaded 600,000 times last Friday, more than three times the downloads of March 2020. So even with all of this, things are doing quite fine for the company. Kind of reminds me of that quote that Howard Stern said that, you know, People that hate me listen, I, I'm going to murder this quote, but they listen three times as much as people who love me. And as I actually started in radio, I thought about that all the time. I was like, well, <laughs> I can say whatever I want. It's all good. Um, but in this case, I think bad press has just enticed people to try it out. Um, I don't know what that means overall for Robin Hood in the sense of like, are these people who are going to be actively in, engaged with the platform? Are these novices that are just checking out the house, but not buying sort of like everybody on Zillow? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I guess it'll prove out when they actually have to produce some reporting. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and then I'm also curious to get your thoughts on, um, you know, how do you say even just repair an image around uh, after something like this that was so widely publicized. You know, that is really hard to do. And again, the name Robin Hood, I feel like it is constant reminder of what happened, you know, most both because Robin Hood, the contrast to what people are accusing them of and, oh, the name, they remember the stories. Um, so I'm wondering your insights when it comes to branding these things and I guess uh, finding that warm spot in the consumer's heart. How do you think, what do you think the right response is to something like this? What do you think the right path forward for a Robin Hood would be? Well, on this one, I'm going to get all of my tenets from our beloved Scott Galloway, who uh, recommends that when you have a crisis of this degree, you need the most senior person possible to come out and be very transparent with the issues, um, address them, acknowledge them, and then overcorrect against them. Now, if you look at what Robin Hood actually did, they went on CNBC, um, the CEO of Robin Hood, were somewhat evasive, some could say um, vague on the issue at hand. Also, I mean, in the immediate, the immediate moments of addressing their users, they didn't explain what was happening. They just told these users what the end consequence would be. If you're gonna take on an issue like this, come out with it. Just explain the whole thing. Why wait days to say, well, actually it was, it was about this whole margin issue. You should have just been tr as transparent as possible with your users from the start. And then I would recommend not going on Clubhouse with Elon Musk and taking <laughs> questions on a social platform that isn't even available to the public 
um, that's maybe a bad move. I can see that it clearly drummed up a lot of PR, but if your objective is in satisfying your users versus the trade environment, you failed. You failed. Like, how many users are going to read, like, a, you know, PR about your conversation on Clubhouse? That's ridiculous. So I think in terms of looking at the transparency, leadership taking ownership and then overcorrecting, I think they've they failed on on those um, best practices. It will be interesting to see what they do this week at the hearing that they're going to um, with Reddit CEO. Uh, what kind of transparency they bring in that environment, but kind of the ship has sailed in terms of, you know, really coming clean to their users about their intentions. I think that damage is done. I even went into Wall Street Bets today to be like, oh, well, have they recovered? Are they okay now? And I'm like, oh, no, they're not okay. <laughs> they're not <laughs> they over are, it. They are very not okay in here. <laughs> wow. And, and this is another question. I, this one might be hard, but this is on kind of the response. And as you just said, uh, you know, it, it, it's damage that may never be able to be undone. I'm curious. So, you know, as I just said, it seems like even uh, year over year, their downloads are still very high. And if you only look at the metric of download and nothing more, you're just going to see, okay, maybe things are fine. But what do you think in an instance like this, what is the the long rippling impacts that they may never be able to recover from? Yeah, I think it's trust, consumer trust. Like, for example, I use Robinhood, right? But I also use E-Trade. And now um, my thought is, my reaction to all of this as an individual is, I will use Robinhood sparingly. I already had concerns about Robinhood prior to any of this happening, which was all the issues they had formerly with widespread outages of the entire platform. Like, I think this goes to show that this total animosity speaks to its level of saturation in the marketplace because I don't remember, and maybe it's just because I wasn't paying much attention, that could be, but I don't remember this level of outrage when the entire platform went dark several times. Um, and, and to me, that means that they're gaining clout, but Trust is something that they're going to have to slowly, slowly build back in the minds and the hearts of consumers because to your point, downloads isn't everything. It's like in the streaming business when someone's like, we've got blank number of new users. And it's like, great. How many of them are active day over day and what's their time spent? And I would ask the same question here and I don't have that data, but it's, you know, how many, what, what's the transactional volume like and how does it compare um, I will say there are instances where a brand doesn't react with those best practices and seemingly um, comes, comes back winning. I actually thought about this the other day, and this is a bit of a side, but do you remember uh, that whole Peloton crisis when they did the ad with the wife getting a Peloton for Christmas? This was 
Christmas 2019. Wow, I don't remember this. Uh, so please give a recap. She gets a Peloton for Christmas from her husband. And the ad was done in such a way that it came off as sexist, elitist, um, confusing, you know, all of the things that you don't want your brand to stand for. And what what really um, shocked me was the response was one, John Foley, the CEO, didn't talk about it. He just, he was like, we're not, we're not talking about Fight Club. And then two, when they finally released a statement about it, the statement was that they were disappointed that the audience misinterpreted their ad. And I was like, oh, you blame the audience? Oh. <laughs> Just zero and, ownership. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not us. <laughs> it's you. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm a huge Peloton fan. Um, so I... You, it's sort of like things that I learned in rear view. In my mind at the time, I knew about the ad. I thought it was silly, didn't pay much attention, was really excited when Ryan Reynolds had that actress in another ad because it was pretty uh, fantastical reactive advertising. But I didn't, I didn't sort of understand the mechanics. And when, when you look at Peloton's price, stock price at the time, uh, it did drop. But many point to some lackluster Black Friday sales um, and some other performance issues and not their ad. I guess you could argue all day about that. But there's an example of a brand not really doing much. Now, consequently, by March of 2020, we were in the COVID era and at-home fitness was definitely much a thing. Boy, did they luck out. (laughs) Oh, my God. Talk about needing an external force to change the course here. I mean, oh, my God. Well, and they they hired a new CMO. So there was like fresh vision coming through the door. So lots of things. But all I'm saying is, you know, it's clearly possible for brands to recover. And maybe, maybe it's about, you know, our attention spans being shorter and shorter and this 24-hour news cycle that we're all riding on because, you know, personally, even during all of these, like, political news firestorms that we've experienced over the years, I couldn't even keep track of what thing I was supposed to be aghast at day over day. So maybe, and I'm not saying branch should do this if they have crises, but maybe in certain instances, it can kind of slowly eke away um but i am honestly trying to wrap my head around that because that doesn't seem like it should be the case yeah there needs to be a proper response to these things wow and by the way i'm gonna have to go deep into this peloton thing i can't believe i didn't know about it but um yeah then watch the ryan reynolds reaction ad (laughs) it's just a gem that man is brilliant (laughs) in contrast yes uh so first be very disappointed in them and then be very proud of their marketing but (laughs) Of um, Ryan Reynolds marketing. <laughs> exactly. Yes, just Ryan yes. Reynolds. Um, but I, as an ending topic here, I, I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on something you touched on earlier and maybe just elaborate a little bit more. But, you know, there is a conversation with uh, everything we saw with Robinhood, with Facebook now and their Apple battle of, God, maybe are we going to just be in a future where people are like, all right, screw it. I'll pay $5 a month to use this social media platform. But to what you were saying earlier, it seems like your thought is that 
that seems unlikely and that people, even in the face of all of this stuff, at the end of the day, the convenience of something being free and when you tell them, oh, it's your data, they just go like, well, it's not an impact on my wallet. Like, I, I mean, I don't really care. I'll download this. Do you expect that to change in the future? Or do you think that it's just going to continuously be a, you know, kind of this trade-off that's not always completely transparent, but at the end of the day, the user is like, fine, if it's free, I will download it. Well, I think it's a, a little bit more complex than what you explained. I've, I, I think certainly there are going to be the users who know of the risks and use it anyway. It's like people who know that smoking is bad for you, but continue to light one up. Yes, they're going to do it. There are going to be a whole host of users, obviously, that are you know very upset about the privacy issues and choose not to use platforms like Facebook or maybe not even Google. Maybe they you know, abstain from using Google's um, search engine. Truly, there are those people. Um, and you could even see this because, you know, Apple's out there highlighting how much privacy they believe in, which is, of course, beneficial to their entire business model to, to say so, considering they don't run on the same things that a Facebook or a Google runs on. So I think the forces at work will be one capitalism because if you've got companies like there there is with apple out there saying privacy is the number one concern we should all care about well you know people who assign to that belief will buy anything that apple has to sell and they will abstain from networks in which um the practices are not as above board but this makes me also think about like issues like TikTok. That was a good one because people's, you know, thoughts and criticisms of TikTok were so severe when in reality there's there's so many apps that collect very similar amounts of data and I was confused by that response, but it it almost seemed to be like that wave heading towards shore and Everybody was watching the wave like, yep, yep, that's a wave, 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 wave. Um, but in reality, there wasn't the, you know, understanding of how the rest of the um, industry operates, which shocked me because you're right now talking about privacy data, all the things that people in our industry talk about. But I still think there's less knowledge with most of American users today. Yeah, it's it's almost as if us in tech live in a bubble. I, I would never say anything that bold, but uh, yes, uh, no, to exactly what you're saying. I think uh, even for myself, I am so a victim of getting, uh, reading too many articles of CNET or seeing too many LinkedIn posts of, oh, wow, this is a huge issue. Everyone's caring about this. But in reality, it may not be anywhere near the degree of a concern that uh, it is for those who are in this industry, quote unquote. But um, awesome. Well, Caroline, uh, again, it was so great to have you break down all of these. And are there any final plugs you want to say? Um, but I will say your LinkedIn will be in the call notes um, because I highly recommend checking out your LinkedIn posts, which act as a great deep dive on many of the topics we've discussed. Yeah, is it sad that I don't have another call out? I'm like, yeah, come <laughs> see me on LinkedIn. That's my call out. <laughs> uh, 
Um, it gets two yeah. call outs. It's Thank that you. Special. Thank you for having me. I, I really enjoy these. I'll be back anytime. Fantastic. All right. If you say if you say the call signal is Scott Galloway, I'll be there. <laughs> I'll put out the Scott Galloway bat signal. And yes, uh, you'll you will find immediately me. be summoned. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Caroline. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Tube Circuit. Please subscribe for more conversations about digital media, social media, emerging platforms, and more.